Hello listeners, my name is Alex Jonitz and I am joined as always by my co-host Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd, he was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. What's going on ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. It is episode one. 16 is that right travis that is correct yes we just discussed this and i already forgot it is episode 116 uh me and travis are coming to you listeners from separate locations yet again doing a little zoom episode uh recording just so we can make sure to catch you guys up on some of the recent news around mlb a lot of coaching news uh, across uh you know all all over the all over the mlb and so we'll cover some of the head coaching news some even some assistant coaching news uh, and th- there's been some minor things beyond that involving you know certain mlb players um some aw- awards announcements to go over um and then for the listeners i didn't i should say at, at the top it is currently wednesday november 15th um just past 6 p.m so we currently know the winners to every award outside of the mvps and then also the all mlb teams are announced for another month or so so we will have a bit to cover there with uh uh some, going over some cy young stuff some rookie of the year stuff some manager of the year stuff but we're going to start travis today with the new manager of the chicago cubs is craig council council is someone travis who i have mentioned throughout the season as like oh it's really odd that the brewers have not extended him like he's just someone who has been there for a good amount of time he feels very much part of their culture it's very weird that they have not re-signed him and it's also interesting that the brewers are pretty cheap so it would kind of make sense for them not to want to give him a big contract if he does want a payday as a pretty successful manager turns out he is getting a big payday it's the biggest MLB manager contract ever. I think it put MLB like on the map in terms of before they were like they were like the sixth or seventh. Uh if you look at like the top manager salary in every American sport, they were like sixth or seventh. Like they weren't even like in the top major four. Like there was like other sports leagues surpassing uh baseball managers. I guess baseball managers just always underpaid in America compared to some of the other sports, but um council is setting records um he's climbing uh he's he's more comparable to now uh the same pay grade as other sports in america so travis what was your first reaction to this uh my first thought was the cubs um are getting greedy right now they're willing to spend even on coaching despite players um i think it's a good tone for their off season but what was your first reaction and and maybe what do you think they what do you think they do next yeah um it it is a good hire uh craig council was the most sought after um manager on the market i, I would i would definitely uh, think so uh from from everyone that was uh everyone that was out there so it, it is a good hire and, and, and you're right it is good to be greedy like the cubs going in and snatching the best manager out there and uh someone who is like mentioned in the media he is from the Milwaukee area, so people were saying it's a good, it's a good, um, it is a good possibility that he does stay home and does stay in Milwaukee to, to manage the Brewers. But um, if they don't want to give him the money, then he might go elsewhere. But he's only going to roughly two hours south of Milwaukee to Chicago, uh, where he will have a 
a pretty strong team to work with, and we'll see what they do in free agency. They are going to probably lose Cody Bellinger, uh, but they could fill that void with another bat or another couple players. They could also re-sign Cody Bellinger to an extension. So we'll see what happens in the next coming weeks and months uh, of the free agency market. But uh, so far, a good start for the, the Cubs. It does feel a little bit uneasy i would say for uh for david ross fans and people that like david ross you know he was the world series almost hero uh a big part in that world series uh victory in 2016 and uh he has been the manager i believe for four seasons and this last season was one of his best i think they had 83 wins they were uh, a game or so away from uh, actually making the playoffs and going to the postseason instead of the Diamondbacks. So that's funny to look at itself. I think there was a big game uh, late in the season where Seiya Suzuki dropped the ball in Atlanta. And I think if they would have won that game, if that catch was made, I think they were actually showing that the Cubs would have made it to the playoffs and the Diamondbacks wouldn't have made the playoffs. And everything we saw in three weeks of postseason baseball, Alex, would have been uh, – pretty odd to think about that since the Diamondbacks made it all the way to the World Series you know what happens if the Cubs would have taken that spot you know in an alternate universe what would have happened in that situation but um, you know what when a team wants to win and wants to win now they're going to have to make some greedy decisions like that Uh, I don't really think there's anything wrong with Dave Ross I just think that they wanted the best option available on the market the Angels did a similar thing in 2019 when you know one year of Brad Osmus and Joe Madden goes on the market and we fire Brad Osmus after a year that really wasn't too bad. He had a good year for a first-year manager. And, you know, we go after that shiny new toy in Joe Madden. I know the rest is history, but uh, it's that kind of mentality where you want that great coach that's available on the market to help lead the the team to hopefully another postseason run and another World Series victory. But uh, good move so far for the Cubs. I know Craig Council, is uh, he he should do a good job there in – in the north side of Chicago, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how how the Cubs come out this year uh, after what happened last year, and with the what seems like the Brewers getting weaker, that NL Central is really up for grabs. Alex, it is a it is a division. I feel like any team could go out and sign some really big free agents and be uh, can become automatic favorites for that division. So that's kind of my feeling for the NL Central right now. It's 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 a free for all. It's a good point. I do think that the Cubs are correctly acknowledging that weakness by being aggressive, getting a top level manager that they feel like they can really pour, uh, you know, put all their chips in on this coming season and this coming window for them. Um, you know, I think that they sense a weakness in the division, like you mentioned. Uh, I expect them to be fully in on Shohei Otani. That's been a lot of the buzz. I mean, every time you hear Otani come up um, right next to the Dodgers, you hear the Cubs, Um it seems like those are probably the two biggest betting favorites if you had to place a bet on where he might end up next. Travis, let's keep it rolling to other managerial hires across the league. Um, I think the second most notable kind of buzz one is that the uh, Angels are hiring Ron Washington. That is something that you know Angel fans have been waiting to kind of figure out what direction are they going to go after Nevin. I think that part of this Washington decision is definitely coming from Artie Moreno, the owner. Um, I think that it is also a move signed off by everyone else in the front office, I assume. It has only been good returns so far. He had his uh, announcement press conference today. Obviously, you can only know so much 
from you know day one of the first press conference but so far signs are positive uh he seems like he's already willing to address the fact that you know i think he said his first order of business is going to reach out to mike trout and anthony rendon and kind of let them know that he expects them to be leaders in the clubhouse um which i think is good news for all angel fans he also I heard uh i heard anthony rendon's gonna let that go to voicemail i did hear that i saw that tweet as well yeah i think that uh Rendon is is in the middle of family time. He's gonna he's gonna let that one ring. But I th- I think that Washington um, is going to bring a lot uh, of new things to the organization. He is not a new school manager per se, but um, I think he does address concerns. Um, I think he will bring a, hopefully a level of aggression, a level of intensity that might have been lacking in prior regimes. I think that there's also I mean he's 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 praised for some of the infield defense work he's done with the Braves as their third base coach. Um, and I know that the angels defense infield defense in particular um, was, was rated pretty low last year. So I can see um, some logical fits um, also as to why he's a good choice to be our manager. But number one reason, first and foremost for me, Travis, I think that he is someone who um, is not going to be, problematic i think that he's going to be someone who probably gets along with the front office i hope and i think someone who gets a lot of respect from the players and i think that he's also going to be a guy that some players are going to definitely want to play for i think when you have a one-year interim manager like we did last year with phil nevin not saying guys didn't like phil nevin guys did like him but i think that um, having ron washington in the building is a bit more of a draw for free agents um getting guys excited to put in the work and show up to you know practice and spring training and you know he gave a little pep talk about hitting the ground running and spring training and so I think that all positive signs in my mind I I still am kind of waiting to see the direction that the rest of the offseason um takes for the Angels and, and at the end of this episode Travis we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other Angels related news this last week in regards to um coaching other coaching decisions and other organizational decisions but based on just the Ron Washington news Travis um your reaction is what yeah I couldn't agree more with what you said Alex um and it all started kind of with today as well with that press conference uh he had some pretty powerful messages I would say uh and 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 really I think bringing a lot of excitement to the fans to the city uh to what he expects and what he expects out of his players so that's gonna be really good to see and also um just the winning mentality that ron washington has had throughout his career you know a decade ago he was managing a very successful texas rangers team and almost a dynasty in texas made it to two straight world series um and it won a bunch of division titles with the texas rangers and then as a um, as a third base coach and as a um, an infield coach with the Atlanta Braves and re- uh, as of recent, so you see a lot of players in the game now, maybe mainly guys in the NL East um, that have seen a lot of Ron Washington that may be uh, looking at a a new home this off season off season and saying, man, that guy really was a was a key role for that Atlanta Braves team. We knew uh, just how difficult it was when we faced them. And uh, that could be a, maybe a good drawing point for some free agents, like you mentioned, uh, that intensity that Ron Washington has has brought to the table and has brought to the team uh, could really be a um, a good uh, a, a good marketing piece for for a lot of free agents. But uh, like you mentioned, he's he's been a winning manager. He's been a winning coach everywhere he's been. You know, it's funny. 
they showed clips of uh, Moneyball, and he was the uh, he was the coach that went over to uh, to God, what's, uh, the, what's the players? Yes, yes, yes. His house, and uh, it was telling him it, it. You know, playing first base is incredibly hard. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's fun to see you know how long he's been in the game and and uh, you know how much time he's had to study and 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 know different eras and and learn at different organizations and different philosophies of different teams. So I'm excited to see what he's able to bring uh, for these two years that he's signed on and and see what we can do this year and and uh, maybe yeah he gets some players in line and maybe he gets uh, uh, some things that were maybe looked as looked at as acceptable in the past as now as unacceptable in the future for certain players and maybe how the way they go. But I'm, I'm excited. It's a good hire. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to what we can do for the rest of the off season and hopefully getting a product on the team and on the field that can, uh, can, yeah, win some ball games and at least be something that's, we can, we can look at as being an over 500 ball club. I think that's the, that's the good starting point for the angels right now. I think years past, we've always looked at, you know, we need to win the division. We need to go out there and win the division. I think we need to look at it and say, can this team be 500? And if we are 500, can we win five or eight plus games up after that and, you know, get close to a 90 win mark team. And that's where, you know, you can get really close to a playoff, uh, a playoff run. But yeah, I, I I'm very excited for what we've done so far and, uh, and, and the hire that they've made. Yeah, you mentioned the connection with the uh, Moneyball A's. It, it's, you know, it, it just kind of, it's cool to see a guy who's been involved in a lot of successful different runs for different teams and to kind of see, you know, I'm not saying he was the cause of all those different points of success, but just being around that kind of success, I think is important for a team that has struggled to sort of click in that way, has struggled to, uh, find that success late in the season. Um, very little postseason experience on a roster. Uh, a lot of emphasis on the young guys. I think he had some promising quotes about focusing on the young guys, uh, giving them lo- just all the all the attention, all the uh, focus that they deserve in order to help them grow. Just keep pouring into them and letting them, you know, figure things out and make the mistakes they need to make and. Um, kind of evolve into, you know, full top level ball players. So um, Angels have an interesting uh, setup right now with the fact that Otani's not on the team. They have all these young guys. Um, they have Trout and Rendon who are kind of the elder statesmen. So I'm interested to see what approach um, the rest of the offseason takes. We'll talk a bit more about that later on. But Travis, more managerial news across the league. Um, who do you want to go to next? I know that. Um, uh, Stephen Vogt is uh, announced as manager, taking over for Terry Francona for the Cleveland Guardians. Um, he's a, a first-time manager. I f- believe he was playing, was it two seasons ago? Yeah, he hit the he hit not this last year, but the previous year, Alex. I remember the last game of the year, he hit a home run in his last game against the Angels in Oakland. Yes. And so he retired in 2022. And then it's funny, you look at almost one calendar year after that, he is now the manager of a major league baseball team, which is pretty, pretty crazy turnaround. Yeah, and I'm not exactly sure much about his style, but I think that there is something uh, to be said about a guy who, I think a guy who gets a job like this from a team that's smart like the Guardians, they probably um, found something they really liked. I think that someone who also is a catcher, I mean, I just feel like catchers usually make, um, yes, yeah. Uh, they just make 
your kind of typical coaching candidates. Um, yep. Obviously, a lot of knowledge about the game. He caught into kind of an older age when he was still kind of a negative hitter. So I think that kind of tells me that he was sticking around the MLB because he had um, a lot of good defense, a lot of good mind for the game, good at probably preparing pitchers and stuff like that. So um, and, I don't want to act like I know bad. much. Yeah, I was gonna say, and what I'll add to that too is that he was he was on a a very similar team with the uh, with the Oakland A's back in the early 2010s. I think he was on the 2013 Oakland A's, where you're not spending money, but you're still being very successful. It's very that's the same model that the Guardians follow. So it 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 does remind me a little bit of his of his you know his his earlier days in the MLB and the team he was on and then the team he's managing now, it's, it's a very similar uh, identity, I would say. So I, I think that could be a good, a good piece to look at that. He's been in that situation and in, uh, in an organization before now he's just making the overall decisions of the club, but yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't want to act like I know much about what he's going to be like as a manager. Cause um, obviously it's kind of to be determined, but I trust the guardians to make a good decision. Um, with that role and, you know, wishing them the best uh, filling that spot with uh, Stephen Boat, first time manager, Travis, um, you had the name of the, I believe it's Pat Murphy is the manager yes. of the yep. Milwaukee Brewers. Now he was an internal guy that they um, kind of like bench coach. Yeah. They kind of promoted um, with Craig council leaving. I also read a tweet saying that, uh, Milwaukee Brewers intend to keep all of their other coaching staff in place after the departure, the departure of Craig Council. So Council is not like he's bringing over all his guys per se. Um, you had a good point about how it seems like Milwaukee is trying to keep their infrastructure in place, um, whereas Council is kind of, you know, he's going to a kind of a bright, shiny new, up and coming Cubs team where uh, he's going to have to kind of rely on. Um, maybe some people currently in, in place at the Cubs or bringing in uh, fresh faces. But Travis, give me your thoughts on the Brewers. I mean, it seems like kind of typical move by them. It's not, it's not sexy. It's not attractive at all, but it kind of gets the job done. That's that. I, I don't know, Travis. I'm looking at Pat Murphy's picture here. <laughs> not too bad. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's typical Brewers. You know, they're not going to bring, they're not going to bring that. Wow. Exciting move. You know, that they, they, I don't, I, I do feel bad for their fans a little bit because, you know, at least with angels, we do get some new shiny toy every, every other off season or it feels like, but of course it doesn't work out. The brewers are just, uh, are under the radar quiet, but they get the job done. They win division titles still, but, uh, yeah, this one, you know, it, it just seemed like they're saying, you know, we're not going to try and go and overspend on a new manager. And you know what, honestly, I don't even know what the brewers identity and and what they want to see the 2024 ball club look like you know i know there's a lot of speculation with corbin burns on the move um i know we talked about earlier uh with brandon woodruff going under uh an injury and i think he's out all of next year but he would have been someone they could have moved could they move devin williams uh there, i think there's a lot of questions with what the brewers will do moving forward with the division that is um i i would say on such an even playing ground right now um i i could see truthfully i can almost see every other and every any team in the national league central winning the division next year it's it's that competitive so um with the brewers going and staying with the guy that's been with the organization that's that's fine with me you know they are a winning ball club and they have a winning identity and winning culture over the last you know five seasons they've done a pretty good job and so 
why change it? Why uh, why go out there and get a new philosophy and a new leader when you have someone that's been doing it for you know year in and year out? So I I, I do I do like that move and just keeping it simple and keeping the same person at the helm uh, of the Brewers. And uh, and I think that's a good segue, Alex, to the Houston Astros. They just hired their new manager. I'm I'm blanking on the name, but uh, Joe Espada. Joe Espada, that's correct. Yep, and uh, he is going to be the new manager for the Houston Astros. And again. With the Astros being the one of the greatest dynasties of our lifetime, why would you go out there and find someone new when there is definitely someone that's in the organization already that has learned the culture, learned the way, you know, just knows how to play Houston Astros baseball? Uh, and with the success that that team has had for the last seven, ten years, you know, again, like I mentioned, why change things? Why? Why do anything different? So th- those are kind of two teams that I I do appreciate them staying internal uh in the uh in the hiring process yeah i think that both those teams trust their process for good reason they've had some uh level of consistent success even though in different ways the brewers much more in a under the radar sort of you know that keeping that payroll really low but i guess in return just having a really smart uh, development staff you bring up guys who contribute all the time out of nowhere you kind of turn you turn things into gold out of nowhere so um they kind of trust that process and the Astros have had consistent uh postseason appearances you know year after year making deep runs uh they, they know that they want to kind of keep that train going they don't want to bring in a completely new voice who's gonna change uh change everything i do think that joe espada is a great pick travis just for the record i did see a brief a brief interview with him he said that so there was the game in the world in the alcs where dusty baker gets ejected and then later on in the game the astros were losing and they're at the bottom of the order trying to get back to altuve uh to the top of the order and they pinch hit Yainer Diaz in there and they also put Singleton in there um to to get on base and they both did get on base that's and right I remember that's right I, what I what I saw was a Joe Espada quote just the other day of him saying that those were his decisions um as the you know he becomes the manager once the manager gets ejected um obviously as the bench coach and so because of that he said that like, yeah like I would have given Dusty those recommendations um as well if Dusty was the manager but since since Joe Espada was the manager. He just made the judgment calls and that's what happened. So I feel like, you know, obviously it's kind of, it's kind of playing the results a little bit because I have that kind of the, the mental hindsight that like, oh, Altuve hit the game, the go ahead home run. And that's, you know, if that didn't happen, then maybe I think a little bit differently about the moves, but, or, or if, if Diaz or Singleton just got out, you know, double play or whatever it might've been. But I think that, um, the the one decision I have of Joe Espada in terms of the one the one thing I can grade him on is that, and it was really good in my mind. I think he did a really good job in that situation in a really big game, you know, and just stepped into the manager role and, you know, made two big pinch hitting decisions and both worked. So, um, yep. and ended up winning them the game. So, good point. My first point. instinct is that he's going to be a really good fit, but um, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's a very good point because I did not think about that when. Uh when when dusty got ejected that that was the next move and uh 
he did make a crucial move in, in, in getting some of those guys up. And it was funny. I think Yanir Diaz did pinch hit for like Jeremy Pena. And you just thought to yourself, like, why would you pinch hit for the shortstop when the catcher's coming up next? So, but it ended up all working out and he was just uh, going to substitute guys and move guys around the next inning. But I think he just said at that position, I want Yanir Diaz up to get on base um, so that, uh, you know, Singleton who has sneaky power can possibly leave or you know leave the ballpark or get it up to the next guy who's Altuve who eventually did hit the home run to uh to win the game but um yeah that those two guys uh you know with the internal hires I, I do like them it's a good job uh I guess one of the last hirings Alex we can talk about is the Mets manager and this is going to be Carlos Mendoza who was a bench coach for the New York Yankees or he was on the coaching staff for the New York Yankees so uh interesting move I I don't I don't love it. I don't really know what to really kind of make of it. At least I'll say that. And, uh, you know, the Yankees last year were not a good team. So they had a lot of, I think, just just internal problems with uh, with with players and just, you know, staying healthy and new guys getting reps. I think there was just a lot of commotion going on in the Yankees organization last year. But uh, Carlos Mendoza leaves the Yankees and will now manage the uh, the crosstown rival Mets. Uh, for the next season and so I guess for me and and I'll ask you this Alex but like what 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 do you see the Mets in the future I mean they they got rid of so many big pieces they got a couple guys on one or two years deals that are left you got Lindor who's you know basically playing the rest of his career for the New York Mets Um, and then one of those guys that's on the one-year deal I think has a year left is Pete Alonso do you move him what do you do right now if you're the New York Mets what what is the Carlos Mendoza signing just really mean? I mean, is it just someone to pass the time along for the next coming years? Yeah, I don't think that this is a hire necessarily to like stopgap into like a new era a few years down the road. I think that it is a move that is meant to sort of be a part of a new era for the team, uh, an era that's going to be looking to try to succeed. I don't think it's meant to be some sort of step off the gas uh, by no means. Um, so yeah, he's he's a guy who I obviously don't know much about in terms of his style and decision-making, but I think everything the front office has done recently, to me, indicates that they're going to be trying to win, um, or at least to be building a winner. Uh, in the short term, it might not be this coming season, even though I don't think they're going to punt on this coming season. But, you know, they definitely traded away some guys in the trade deadline this last season that would have helped next year. And they kind of said, let's just focus on our short term future. I know they brought in Acuna's brother, amongst a lot of other top prospects from other teams at the deadline last year. So those guys probably won't be ready to go necessarily this coming season, especially not at the beginning of, the, of this coming season. But I think in the coming years, that's going to be huge for them. Additionally, I know they brought in, I think, David Stearns, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's been running the the show at the Brewers for a long time in the front office. He is now going to be working with the Mets. So I think that he is someone who has a vision in mind for the team. If he is uh, inclined to think Carlos Mendoza is the right guy for the job, I don't think I'm in any spot to say it's a bad move at all. Um, like I said, I don't know much about his style, what he's going to bring to the table since we've never seen him in this kind of role before. But I do think that, you know, you mentioned some of the personnel in the Mets. Pete Alonso is someone, Travis, I think it would not be a bad idea to move him. I'm not saying they definitely have to do that. They could, they could just have some extension talks and kind of figure out what he's looking for uh, money-wise. And if it seems like they're just not close, 
and they don't think they're going to necessarily contend this coming year, then then you obviously should trade them and try to get something more uh, long-term uh, put in place in the future. But Travis, I'm pretty high on a lot of the other pieces going on right now. Like there's some young unproven guys like Brett Batty. And um, I mean, I, I, I think I'm one of the higher people on Lindor and Nimmo and some of the pieces they already have in place. Um, and I also think that, you know, Senga, I mean, he really exploded um, in the second half of the season. He got rookie of the year uh, attention, top three in rookie of the year. So I think that there's a lot to like about some of the pieces they have. I'm not saying that they're like some sort of World Series contender this coming season, but I do think that there are things to at least be somewhat excited about. Um, we'll see how they end up performing. I think that last year definitely was a much bigger disaster than their roster should have been. I think that they definitely yeah. um, will continue to put money, um, you know, knowing, uh, knowing Cohen, the owner, he will continue to put money into this team, trying to make his goal of winning a World Series a reality. That being said, I think that, you know, Carlos Mendoza as a first-year manager, he will have something to prove. We'll kind of be able to assess a little bit better during the season. But for now, um, I have no problem with it at all. The Yankees, even though they weren't that good this last season, they have, um, in my mind at least, you know, this has been some other controversial comments by Brian Cashman about he thinks that they're really good. And a lot of fans are like, what are you talking about? Like, we were terrible last year. You know, I still think that the Yankees have really good process overall. They did, they were quote unquote bad last year, but they were still like a winning team and just a really tough division. And they had lots of injuries to their most important players. Judge missed some time. Rodon missed like almost all the season. Uh, Nestor missed like almost all the season. Uh, you know, they, Stan missed time. Like it put them in a really tough spot. Yep. I think that Carlos Mendoza probably learned a lot of valuable things um, from the Yankees organization, which has been successful um, for years, even though they it's been a while since they, you know, won it all, of course. I am overall pretty, you know, satisfied if I'm a Mets fan. Obviously, some Mets fans are going to overreact. Um, you know, Frank the Tank, if he's listening, he's not. But um, I think he was unhappy about it. But that being said, Travis, I, I, I am, I'm very okay with the move. Um, still, jury is still out until we see him in action. But um, mm -hmm. there, there are things to be excited for if you're a Mets fan, and that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess last thing we can talk about briefly, but, uh, you know, Padres, I still have not selected a manager, you know, that whole weird, weird week with Bob, Bob Melvin being able to interview for the Giants job and then he gets it. And then you're thinking, what, like the, it, he, the, the Padres just kind of let him walk away for free. Like, I, I don't know what's up with that, but whatever you move on. But, uh, you know, I know the names have been whispered, uh, for the Padres job is, uh, I think it's uh, Mike Mike Shield, who was the Cardinals manager uh, just a couple years back, and I thought he did a pretty good job. I think he was one of the only managers, if not the only manager, the first manager to manage a major league baseball team who had never had major league uh, a major league at bat. I think it was or a major league um, uh, uh, opportunity or moment. I think he had never made it to the bigs, but he was the first manager ever to manage a baseball team uh, with that uh, with that background. But he is one of the last guys, I think, left for the Padres job. Also, uh, Phil Nevin, Angels old manager, he is up for the Padres job. So um, 
that's just something to kind of keep, uh, you know, keep keep aware and, and to, to know that uh, it, you could be hearing some news happening in the next week or so. I think and I hope something would happen because, man, if you don't have a manager by Thanksgiving, I just feel like you you go into that almost winter meetings of December with no manager. You know, players are going to be looking at that and saying, like, do I do I really want to? sign with a team where I don't even know who's going to be coaching me and who's going to be managing me. But the Padres already have so many good players that I don't know what their huge plan is this off season, but um, I'm sure their, uh, their GM and, and, and their front office will, will do a good job and in, in hopefully acquiring the right players to uh, just get those games last year that should have been wins to absolute wins, you know, but uh, that's kind of my take on that. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see who they end up going with because we heard the whispers about Schilt really, you know, a, like a week or two ago and all of a sudden like nothing got finalized. It felt kind of weird. But yeah, I'm also interested to see which direction they end up going and how it will affect their offseason. Rumors about Soto being traded are all very interesting. Um, we'll dive into that a bit more in the next episode where we get into some of the free agent news that's hopefully finally starting to happen. Travis, let's go ahead and shift gears here. I want to talk a little bit quickly about the Platinum Glove winners um, of the 2023 season. There is one for the American League, one for the National League. It is basically supposed to commemorate who the writers think is the best defender on that year. I think it's a different body that votes for it from Gold Glove. I think they're like completely separate, but um, I do like the idea of Platinum Glove. It's kind of a fun wrinkle. Um, to the awards season and I I I am for for once Travis I mean there's been times where there's been obvious good like selections like there's been years where Arenado or An- Angelton Simmons are just like these obvious like best defender in baseball kind of seasons but this is one of the times where I feel like they really could have gone some random direction I didn't like and I actually feel like they made really good selections without further ado for those that don't know the American League winner was second baseman Andres Jimenez for the Cleveland Guardians. And the National League winner was, you know, right fielder Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres, who, of course, is having his first year as a full-time right fielder, has played a bit of outfield in years past after he got injured playing shortstop. Um, Diving into some of the stats, Travis, I think it is really impressive that, you know, the voters were able to kind of get this right in my book. Looking at, you know, some of the numbers on fan graphs here, these are the two guys who led all of MLB in defensive runs saved, according to fan graphs. You can look at other stats um, that they have on fan graphs in terms of, um, like, here's a stat called plus minus runs saved. Tatis and Jimenez both lead in that stat as well. Um, you can find plenty of stats where someone else leads. Um, Brenton Doyle, the center fielder for Colorado Rockies, is at the top of a lot of these leaderboards too. So he's definitely someone who should be getting sort of honorable mention consideration for this kind of thing. Um, but Tatis, uh, so Brenton Doyle is first in ultimate zone rating as well as ultimate zone rating per 150 uh, games. And Tatis is second in both of those stats. Um, and then if you look at like Fangraphs has a stat just called defense, their defensive value, um, you see uh, Andres Jimenez is 10th behind a bunch of shortstops and catchers. So he's like the highest of like a non-shortstop catcher, center fielder type of guy. So th- there's there's just tons of stats that kind of point to these two guys having really special defensive seasons. 
it's super impressive to me that Tatis was able to do this as his first time as a, as a full-time outfielder. Um, someone made a point that it kind of shows you how difficult shortstop is as a position because Tatis had some really weak uh, defensive shortstop seasons. Um, when you look at some of the analytics uh, defensive gradings, and he immediately becomes like one of the best right field defenders when you just put him in right field because he has the speed, the coordination, the arm to do it all. Um, it's just a bit easier out there. You have more time to react. Um, probably a bit easier to make some decisions. So I think that, you know, overall hats off to those two guys. I think they really deserved it. I mean, there's definitely other names you could have floated out there. I think, I think every year there's some, a few catchers and a few center fielders who you can make a claim that they are, you know, just as valuable as anyone uh, defensively in baseball, but to see a second baseman and right fielder win it and having stellar seasons, I think it's awesome. Um, what was your reaction? Any thoughts? Yeah, my biggest takeaway is just, I mean, how you kind of elaborated on it, but just how impressive it is to see a guy like Fernando Tatis, you know, he's known for his bat, he's known for his speed and arm, and in a season that he gets put in right field, um, you know, moves from the shortstop position is now going to be, you know, probably a, a primary outfielder moving forward in his career wins a platinum glove in his in his first year it just it's it it speaks so much it speaks in so much volume to just how incredible Fernando Tatis Jr. is and that not only is he a terrific power hitter terrific uh speedster uh base runner great arm that glove is just so impressive so that's awesome to see that uh he is just he's truly a superstar and wherever you put him it, it just feels like he can get the job done um and then going over to Andres Jimenez I think last year, Alex, he might have been the Gold Glove winner over at second base, if I'm not mistaken. But he, he is he the, the Guardians definitely have a nice uh, a nice player at the second base spot. He showed a lot of a lot of pop last year. He had, had a very good bat this year. The offense uh, did take a little bit of a dive, but um, it's nice to know that he is always going to be consistent with the glove. And this year, showing that he can win the Platinum Glove uh, is uh, it, it, it's something that that it's special for at least. Um, it's special to have at least the guardians have someone that they can count on in that, in that middle infield to be secure and be locked down um, and, and play very good defense. Um, that that's always one of the positions that you'd always want a, a lockdown defender to be at is up the middle. But um, yeah, again, both guys uh, kind of opposite types of players. Uh, you know, both guys have tremendous speed, but uh, you're not going to see Andres Jimenez going out there and hitting 40 home runs in a year. Uh, like you would Tatis, but it, it is it is remarkable years by both of them. And uh, just again, the the highlight is just Tatis. That's just so impressive to see a guy like him. When I saw that, um, when it was released, and MLB released their uh, the two guys that won. I was just like, man, like that's just incredible that a guy who was playing shortstop and um, you know was going to be known as just the next Alex Rodriguez at the shortstop position gets moved to right field and we talked about him all year long and how incredible his his metrics were and how good his defensive numbers were and glad to see that the vote getters uh and the people who who vote on that uh got it right at least for uh for that position it, it's incredible best best defensive player in the National League right there so that'll be fun to at least have him play next year in uh in the video games right because I mean that'll be uh for sure platinum uh glove with great arm and speed i'm sure that card will already be starting at like a 90 diamond so that's 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 how i think <laughs> yeah i mean no you're definitely right about saying that um it's a big boost uh, sort of his i mean because it's interesting because being like an average to below average defensive shortstop 
compared to like a really above average right fielder. It's like he's the same guy. It's not like nothing really changed. He just kind of proved to the world, the baseball fans um, that watch these games, just kind of prove like, hey, like if you put me in this situation, I'm this kind of guy. And just shortstop, I think is just, it kind of almost to, to me shows how hard of a job shortstop is. But um, last couple notes, um, there's a there's a stat called range um, on uh, on th- fan graphs here, and Tatis was second in MLB in range, um, also outs above average. Andres Jimenez was second, and it's funny, Travis. You can look at like a lot of these leaderboards and just kind of filter around and change um, the filters, and you'll see lots of kind of surprising names at the top of some of these. But and so, like for example, the most outs above average in baseball, according to Fangraphs, Dansby Swanson, like someone he wouldn't really expect to see that high. I know that he has made a lot of progress defensively, uh, Dansby. But you know, you see Willie Adamas towards the top of this leaderboard. You see, you know, uh, Christian Walker really high up here. So it is kind of guys you might not expect to see. But when you kind of filter through every category and you see that, you know, Andres Jimenez is like top two or three in like half of these stats and Tatis is top two or three in like half these stats. Like that's when you say, okay, like these guys really were kind of all around really good defenders. And like, even though it's kind of hard to kind of figure out which stat is the best for looking at defense, you know, you can take a look at like a variety of things and say, these guys did overall a really good job. So I'm happy with those, with those votes. I'm glad that we're both kind of on the same page that that voting, uh, was a big W um, for the voters on on the Platinum Glove winners this year. Travis, let's uh, shift gears again. Um, I want to kind of quickly talk about um, some of the award winners so far. We're not going to get like super deep dive into it. We just kind of want to give some guys their credit. And then once like the all MLB season comes around, we'll kind of give our deeper thoughts on like who we think are the best pitchers and the best rookies and the best hitters. Mm -hmm in baseball and stuff like that. But so far we know the winners of rookie of the year, manager of the year and Cy Young. So we'll just get into it briefly here. Uh, so Travis, the managers of the year, Skip Schumacher, Schumacher, right? And then uh, Schumacher, Schumacher. Yeah. <laughs> I think I always heard Schumacher when in the yeah, video game I, when I was a kid. I, but I kept saying Schumacher, I think in his playing days, but I kept hearing Schumacher as a, as a coach or I don't know, but yeah, I, I'll just go Schumacher. And then um, the Orioles coach for the American League, uh, Brandon Hyde, was the American League Manager of the Year. So Marlins coach, Orioles coach, I think it makes a lot of sense. I can honestly tell you, Travis, I don't know how to really assess uh, Skip Schumacher's manager, uh, managing style. I feel like their team, their roster was not super phenomenal, yet they still made a really big close push, almost made the playoffs. Um, but their run differential was really poor um, for a playoff team, for a team that was in the race that that long down the stretch. So to me, it also kind of says like, hey, I'm not so sure that um, they found some sort of golden success recipe. I think they just, you know, had a really good year where they managed to win close games. So something to be said about uh, Schumacher's managing um, in those types of situations. You look at the team like the Padres could not win the close games and that's what cost them their playoff hopes. The Marlins on the other hand were able to, you know, win a lot of those close games. If they get blown out, who cares? Next game up, let's win it. Um, They got the job done for most of the season. So that's my thoughts on him. And then Brandon Hyde, Travis, the Orioles took a step forward that no one really expected. I think it makes sense for him to win that award. 
Um, do you have problems with either of these selections? No, I was looking at the finalist uh, a couple of weeks prior. I, I definitely would have selected both those guys uh, with just the the expectation the Marlins had going into the season. I think if they would have won 75 games, Alex, they would have been happy. But they ended up winning, uh, you know, more than 82 games and uh, getting into the playoffs, which is nobody in nobody in their right mind would have thought what it was even possible. So uh, Skip in his first year uh, had had a, had a hell of a job and, and, and did a great job with that. Um, you know, I know the finalists too with Craig Council and Brian Snitger being, uh, being the finalists. Um, some might say, well, hey, you know, the best team in baseball uh, should get the manager of the year. So I could see that argument with Brian Snicker, but um, I just think, yeah, with with what the expectation was for the Marlins, and you know, I think if you <laughs> if if you go to Vegas and you would have put a bet on, hey, Marlins are going to make the playoffs, you know, you're probably making a pretty decent payout right now just because the odds were so much in favor of them not making the playoffs. But uh, he's definitely, I think, my easy pick to win, and he did. And then, of course, also Brennan Hyde. Um, you know, what the Orioles did last year was pretty impressive. They were just around 80 wins, I believe. I, don't, I think they were maybe a little bit, maybe 81 wins they were. But going into the year, Alex, I know I mentioned um, that I thought they had some luck last year and that they were going to regress. And I did not see them being as strong of a team as they were in 2022. Uh, I was wrong about that. They shattered that expectation and went above and beyond uh, winning, uh, I, I believe, 100 plus games. And uh, Brennan Hyde is definitely the easy guy to win that award. Uh, and then with, you know, Kevin Cash, outstanding year with the Rays. I think it was his award to win, uh, except for that like second half record that, that the Rays had. Um, I know that some of those stretches were pretty poor. They were playing like 500 or under 500 baseball for like a 60 or 80 game stretch throughout the season. Um, so that was probably something that hurt him. But also with um, with not finishing and winning the division, that's going to hurt him a little bit as well. But Kevin Cash, we all know. I think every year Kevin Cash is always like a considerate for the manager of the year. I feel like it's 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 a common theme we see. And then Bruce Bochy as well, um, first year manager coming in, taking this Rangers team that was just playing so poor the previous year and uh, got them to 90 wins and got them to the playoffs. Um, that too, I really wonder if the Rangers would have kept uh, their foot on the throttle, would he have won manager of the year if the Rangers would have been the second you know, place team in the American League? You know, would have there would there be some some good arguments here and there, but uh, just kind of how the season ended, I think Brandon Hyde's easily the guy that uh, should get the uh, the manager of the year uh, award, and I'm glad he did. So both guys uh, could not complain. Moving on to rookie of the year, American League Gunnar Henderson was the winner. National League Corbin Carroll, no surprises on either. No surprise I think, at all. <laughs> I think um, like mid season. Well, new Corbin Carroll was winning that award. Um, Josh Young, amongst others, kind of gave Gunnar Henderson um, a better run for his money by the middle of the season. But I think by the last month or so, we kind of knew it was going to be Gunnar Henderson's award um, to lose. And, and he, of course, secured it. Makes a lot of sense. Both players were on teams that were really successful, which just helps. But I think just by their individual numbers alone, they really proved um, to have really impressive rookie years. Corbin Carroll's Travis, truly one of the great rookie seasons um, in recent memory, like outside of, you know, I mean, you know, 
you can't compare guys to Mike Trout's rookie season, but like yeah. take that one away and look at the others. Like I think he had like a six Fangraphs war, Corbin Carroll. Um had like a well above average bat, played good defense, stole 50 something bases. Uh, and of course turned a team that had not sniffed the playoffs in years to a team that was in the mix all season, ended up making the playoffs, ended up making the world series. I don't think making the world series should really count towards that vote, but it's yeah, definitely no. something that it's definitely something that shows the value that Corbin Carroll had to this group. Uh, and, and it shows in the stats. So any, and, any and we'll, see, with, we'll, we'll see exactly uh, what. Uh, how much value he brings. I, I, I'm interested to see, you know, what, where he ranks in the MVP votings. You know, I think number one is, is, is going to be an easy person to, to look at when, uh, when it's all said and done, when, when it comes out tomorrow. But um, I'm always curious to see where guys stumbled in the, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not in the top three, maybe in the top 10. If there are certain guys that actually get into that top 10 that you're like, wow, that's actually, it might not look impressive, but Man, if Corbin Carroll, let's just say if Corbin Carroll is a top five uh, vote getter, I think that is a very impressive uh, rookie season to be a top five MVP getter, um, uh, vote getter in in uh, in your first season. That's that's going to be uh, something to really build off of. But uh, but yeah, continue. Yeah, um, I think we both saw those coming. Um... We'll talk about those guys both a bit in the all movie conversations, I'm sure. At least their names will probably come up at some point in that debate. Um, looking at the Cy Youngs, Travis, Cy Young winners, American League, Garrett Cole finally gets his. You've been saying for a while now, Travis, he's always been one of your predictions because he's just kind of due to win one. Yeah. He's kind of too good not to win one. Finally has done so. And then in the National League, Blake Snell. Um, secures his as well. He had the ERA title. Very, Travis, to me personally, um, not a very to, weird, very weird year. <laughs> not to hate on those guys. You, right. You read my mind. It just felt like there was no dominant uh, performance that really like floored me, you know? Um, Easily, yep. There was no one that stood out the whole season as like, this is the guy. It felt like Garrett Cole was this the beacon of consistency that never died out whereas other guys in the american league race died out otani had a really strong first half had a couple bad starts ended up getting shut down from pitching um other guys across the board gosman um you look at a guy like kyle bradish uh sunny gray got votes these are just guys who um for this reason or that had a few bad starts down the stretch that resulted in in ERAs that were not as good as Garrett Cole's. Garrett Cole also had the workhorse component. He ended up being a unanimous selection um, as American League Cy Young. So I'm happy for him, Travis. But it's just funny because I look at 2019, and I think his 2019 was way better than his 2023. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, that's, and that's also considering 2020 or 2019 was an insane offensive environment, right? Like, there was a spire attack thing that was probably happening, helping guys like him, but it was helping lots of pitchers. And we know that guys were hitting home runs at an insane rate that year. Offense was way up in 2019, and he still had insane uh, individual stats um, as a pitcher. So hats off to Cole for finally winning one, but I do feel like 2019 should have been a dub for him in that regard. And then Snell Travis had the crazy ERA. In my mind, Travis, I do like Snell, but a lot of the underlying stats kind of go and show you that, um, you know, he's not going to be this guy next year. I'll just put it that way. And that's no shade to him. Um, but there's just 
a lot of data that kind of shows he did get quite lucky in many regards. He's still a very good pitcher. He's just, you know, the 2.2 ERA or whatever it was is, is, is it's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, insane territory that he won't find himself in year after year. Um, But he is now a two time signing award winner, Travis Blake Snell. Um, Not many guys can say that. And different leagues, (laughs) which uh, I, I think makes it even more rare. Yeah, I wonder how many guys can actually say that. I wish I had looked it up beforehand. But any any other reactions to those uh, award selection awards? Yeah, you you said it perfectly, and I I I definitely agree that it just it, I, I saw the awards come out today, and you're kind of it, it, it wasn't really like there wasn't really it wasn't I'm not I don't want to say special, but it was it just didn't seem like it was a dominant year in in, in pitching, and so um you know kudos to Garrett Cole he, like he said he was he, he's basically been the most consistent pitcher all year certain guys have hit peaks and valleys um and uh, no one's been quite as consistent as Cole so good for him winning his first Cy Young ever I thought man is he gonna get that like Nolan Ryan or Chris Sale treatment where he never wins a Cy Young but he's so dominant for so long but finally gets the Cy Young and then uh Blake Snell easy person to choose from um you know in the in the national league he is one guy you know i mean again really good for blake snell great pitcher this year alec he is going to get so overpaid it's not even funny like i i i am waiting for the team that's going to give him 30 to 33 million dollars a season maybe even higher depending on the uh depending on the length of the deal but i just feel like he's a pitcher that's going to get so overpaid that uh you know that team that gives him the money may have a couple seasons here and there that are good, but we've seen Snell seasons that are just like, geez, five ERA, like this is just not good because, um, yeah, as you pointed to the numbers, uh, they, 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 he gets lucky at some certain, uh, at certain times. So I, I, I definitely don't want to take anything away from him. He was the best pitcher in the National League for sure, but I just want to mention too and just say that when, when free agency time does come and a team does select him, I'm very curious to see what team selects him, what's the contract, what's the terms, what's the price, and uh, I, I'll make my my case then and, and say, yeah, you guys really overpaid for him or, or you guys um, got him on a really good deal. But yeah, I, I just feel like that he he's due for a massive contract. I think, he, you know, when they traded – when the Rays traded him to the Padres, it was such a team-friendly deal that uh, you know a lot of you know a, a lot of teams were were looking at it as yeah. I mean, I think it was like three years and like I don't know, fifty mil or I, I maybe it was like thirty-eight million dollars, whatever his contract was after he left the Rays. But um, now he's gonna be wanting that payday, and yeah, I just I I can't I can't say it enough. I just I feel like he's just he's gonna be one guy that's gonna get paid too too much. Yeah. Yeah, looking at, you know, what he might make and kind of thinking about other options. Uh, I mean, not not other free agents, but just in general, if you had to start a team and you could just pick a pitcher um, in either league, like you would, if I just quizzed you. On I think that, we could do a snake draft and not pick him. <laughs> I mean, you could do a snake draft to what? Like he get picked like what? in the Like maybe not in the top 15. You know? I was gonna say like twenties, yeah, like yeah, 20s, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 Charis, we are. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in the world because at the MLB level, if you're winning Cy Young awards, you are that that good. But we're just kind of going out to say, compared to yeah. the elite of the elite, um, he's not necessarily our pick. And and you know that's fine. He's he he earned his payday. You know, so hats off to him for the work he put in this year. Um, but yeah, like I can just already you know say that I agree with you. A team that does pay him uh, big, big bucks 
is not necessarily going to, they're not getting a Cy Young guy every single season. He may have another season that's kind of like this year on that deal, but it's not going to be an every year type thing. Whereas Garrett Cole, um, every year he's in those conversations, even if he's not winning the award every year, at least one, at least, you know, three of every four years, he's like top 10 in Cy Young voting. So, um, Moving on, Travis, the final thing we'll cover this episode, just wanted to quickly touch on some other Angels um, news that came out. And Travis, as Angels fans, we try to keep our our kind of finger on the pulse of the team and, and what's going on. And there was just some definitely things that concerned me, at least. I'm not sure how much they concerned you, but I think Angels fans um, were taken aback by an article written by Sam Blum. Uh, that was came out a day or two ago. And basically the really short, short summary version of it is that Angels legendary closer that closed the 2002 World Series, Troy Percival, he came in to watch a training session for pitchers um, a few months ago. The team's... Uh, I think it was down in their like development system program. Yeah. And then the farm, the yeah. a farm system director asked... Troy Percival for just some feedback and notes and thoughts and whatever he wanted to say. And basically he said he didn't like the use of technology that much. He said he's not a fan of the iPads, you know, um, things, things that literally every MLB team are doing, you know, using these iPads to kind of track things um, that you gain such an advantage from looking at that stuff. You can just look at any team that's succeeding in MLB and they're using technology to help them, learn more about their pitchers, what could be going wrong. And there was there was somewhat of a good message in what Percival said, just in the fact that he said he likes his coaches to be able to use their hands to help the players instead of relying just on technology. And there's something to that because if you have a technology, but you don't know how to you don't know how to sculpt your pitcher into using um the information and say oh this is actually how you have to have to hold the ball in order to get this type of spin like you have to have both you have to have a coach that knows something about actually pitching and then someone who knows how to read the information from the technology so i there there's a marriage that needs to happen between technology and traditional coaching but that being said the angels just responded by letting go of buddy carlisle and uh, uh someone by the last name of axelrod who both guys were some of the top pitching personnel on Angel's staff um, throughout the system, not in the big league level, but throughout the minors, both guys, um, you know, let go of, both guys were respected um, from players that had come through the system. Reed Detmers gave Buddy Carlisle credit for helping him develop his slider. I believe Axelrod got credit for Silseth for helping Silseth um, work on some pitches when he was down in the minors. I saw an anonymous Angel's former pitcher, um, that's no longer with the team, said that uh, Axelrod was the go-to guy if you had any pitching questions about anything you were doing in regards to, uh, you know, your delivery or anything else. And so seeing the Angels kind of make a drastic decision based on the words of Troy Percival, who, yes, was a really good closer in MLB 20 years ago, but is not even involved in the organization. I think he has coached college ball um in some recent years but we're talking about a guy who you know he's not involved yeah, just in said MLB. 20 years ago <laughs> yeah he's not involved in mlb processes at all at this point and i'm not saying he doesn't know what he's talking about he probably knows better than i do but there's a lot of guys who there's a lot of people who i trust travis that think this was not a really good move um and travis one of the people who think it wasn't a really good move is the tampa bay rays because they are i think the consensus smartest organization in baseball 
they immediately hired Buddy Carlisle and brought him into their system. That is a huge red flag to me, Travis, because they know what they're doing when it comes to developing pitchers, turning guys you never heard of into guys with two ERAs out of the bullpen. They turn um, you know, prospects from other teams into aces. Uh, they they do it on a consistent basis. They know what they're doing. And they they poach a guy that you fired after we have failed to develop many good pitchers that weren't high prospects in the last several years. I mean, it's definitely a concern to me, Travis. Looking at, you know, looking at this last season, I think that this is my assessment, and then I'll let you give your thoughts. My assessment is that Artie Moreno gave Perry Manassi in this season some ability to make some decisions in regards to I think Perry is very analytical um they hired a driveline uh former uh, vice president at driveline they hired him to uh Bill Hezel to be like assistant uh, pitching coach he was on the staff this year I think that they started using I mean they for the last several years they've been using uh someone by the name of Alex Tamin as assistant GM and he was in charge of telling the coaches which pitchers were available and which ones were not. I think that was all based off of like an innings pitched and matchup based information. We know Joe Madden was not um, happy with that at all. He did not like the information coming from front office uh, influencing game decisions. I think that the way that this season turned out, Travis, I think it just turned already sour on all that stuff. I think he just kind of lost faith in Perry's judgment to involve analytics in the training and the processes um i think that Artie is kind of taking a bit of power away from perry in regards to forcing uh some new decisions i think that they brought in some more veteran types some more old school uh voices and obviously some like former angels players who are not, are not involved with the organization um to try to help coach up um, certain parts of the minors and stuff. And to me, Travis, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and then the, the the last point is that you can't blame last season on analytics because we have been so behind for so long as an organization in terms of the money we put into the minors, in terms of just constantly putting ticket sales and finances over uh, winning baseball. Um, and, and, you know, just trying to sell jerseys and tickets and stuff as the priority. That's been the case for, I mean, most of Artie Moreno's tenure as manager. And to say that this season, the analytics didn't work, we're going to fire some guys who were doing good things that obviously the Rays agree <laughs> were doing good things. And to say those guys are out because this season was a failure. Um, someone by the name of uh, Eno Saris, who is really, really respected in a kind of advanced pitching um, you know, he has his own, uh, pitching plus and stuff plus models that get lots of praise. Um, someone who I really, I really put a lot of stock into. He said that the angels trying to become more analytical is like turning a tanker ship, right? It's not going to happen overnight. And when the first year it doesn't go out well, you can't just like try to go back to the old course. It doesn't make any sense. And I think that, um, you know, this is a real big, uh, a real big slip up by the angels. In my opinion, I do like the Ron Washington momentum we have going from today, but I think building up to the last, you know, week or so 
not super happy with some of the news that's coming out, with some of the decisions um, we're making as Artie Moreno tries to scramble to win a World Series before he, um, you know, sells the team or croaks over. So, I, Travis, give me give me your thoughts on this news. I just talked for a good while, so um, I'll shut up now. Yeah, good rant. I like that. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of lot to digest the last coming or last couple of weeks on all that. Um, you know more than I do about you know the the certain guys that are in the Angels system that are part of the analytical staff or guys that are you know he, uh, you know heavily leaned on by pitchers for you know fixing their tendencies or fixing some of the uh, the bugs in in how they how they go about their entire uh, uh, pitching repertoire, if you'd say. But uh, I. Um, yeah, the one thing that struck me, Alex, was uh, the immediately the immediate hire of uh, Carlisle to the um, uh, to the Rays. That that right there, just you, you know, automatically like, oh, this is it's not going good right now. Like the Rays probably were laughing when they saw us release a guy like this, and they can easily swoop him up, and he can be a great addition to that Rays team. And he's probably just like a medium level guy or like an average level guy on the Rays staff. Uh, but, but he's someone that can actually have another, he, he can offer another perspective for the Rays and, and that's going to be helpful for them. But um, yeah, I, I don't know which, how this is all going to turn out and how, you know, where the angels are leaning, but um, you got to, I think I first got to start with, you know, what are the additions going to be after Ron Washington? Who's he, who is he going to bring in for hitting coaches? Who's he going to bring in for pitching coaches? Will that be a strong, you know, front office uh, move or will that be more of a, you know, a GM and, and analytical team move? Uh, so I, I have to see kind of where, where that all falls and what happens there before I can really make my judgments. But yeah, I, it is, it is concerning when you got former players that were saying, man, this guy really helped me in this. And this guy was a big reason why my slider is so good uh, today. Um, you just, that th that is a concern right there. But I, I, again, you know, more than I do not too much to really say, but it is, uh, it is funny that we if angels have just had so many ex players uh, coming in and being like an advisor or bringing someone that could give some sort of recommendation. And yeah, I think that is kind of a cool and good thing, but I also just, I'm, I'm getting just more and more sick and tired of it because I just see so many fans. And I, I think the fans, I think Artie is just kind of like the fans on Twitter where it's just like, he just wants that, that world series team to be a part of the 2024 angels. And that's not how it works. You know, I, I think that it's cool to have, but you, you you need to move on sometimes from some of these guys. It, it's fun to have these guys stick around the organization, but you know, I'm angels aren't asking Rod Carew and, and Nolan Ryan for, you know, recommendations on, on this kind of stuff. I don't know. I just feel like if there's a lot of things that just need to be moved on and, and, uh, and, and you need to look elsewhere. So, uh, I mean, Yankees don't have Reggie Jackson on their coaching staff. You know, the Yankees don't have Derek Jeter on their coaching staff. They don't have Derek Jeter as their manager or anything like that. So, I just there there are certain clubs that just they kind of just say yeah it was a great era it was a nice time to play with this person but we're not just gonna live and breathe with this one guy that we just like bow down to so I feel like the Angels just do that too much with their ex players and that 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 at that at extent gets a little bit like it just gets sickening as as a, as from in my perspective and probably yours as well where it's just like okay can we stop living in the past like let's live in 2024 and how can we be a better team that year so. 
that's just uh, that's my perspective on it all. But uh, yeah, I, I I can I can go go off on a little rant like that. But I I guess uh, that's how I'll put it. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the whole twenty uh, just the whole two thousand two fixation, and it feels like I think Artie bought the team the year after we won the World Series, and it feels like he's yeah. been chasing that ever since. Right, he's just trying to get back there. And it's like, you don't, you know, he, he should learn that you don't have to ask those guys how they did it. I'll tell you how they did it. They were a wild card team and they got really hot for a week, for, a, you know, a few weeks, for a month. Yep. And they won the World Series. And it was a lot of legendary moments that fans will cherish forever. That doesn't mean those guys know some secret formula that no one else knows, right? There are some really tough guys in that team, some guys who have a lot of good input, but those guys aren't like, um, some geniuses that know all this stuff about winning baseball games that like Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon don't already know. So um, you and I are pretty much in agreement. The last thing I'll say is that um, this other account that I follow, um, it's the founder and uh, director at Driveline uh, named Kyle Bodie. I think um, he tweeted that this is a perfect example of the idea that you no longer need to win baseball games in order to have financial success. Like you can literally just do whatever and print money. He says like it, it's almost, he says, if you ran a seven 11, like you run a bad baseball team, you'd go out of business, but baseball, like you're going to have fans showing up no matter what. And you don't have to put on, put a winner on the field. You don't have to be competitive with like the forward thinking um, analysis of like, how do we get everything we can out of this team? How do we get everything we can out of this coaching staff? It doesn't matter anymore. You can just kind of coast and you're going to make a profit every year. The team's going to grow in value every year. And in a decade, you can sell it for 10 times what you bought it for. And it doesn't really matter if you win or not. So it was kind of a really interesting uh, tweet that I saw that, um, you know, it's kind of, kind of shook me. I was kind of like, whoa, like, you know, you, you, if, if a baseball team, if, if pretty much if Artie Moreno, and he's a, he's a, a success, a successful businessman. So, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn. He, he's a self-made uh, billionaire, unlike, uh, unlike other owners, but um, it seems like you really can run a team without any um, goal of winning um, or without any, you know, success in terms of winning baseball games and still turn a profit and uh, you know, keep that keep the keep the uh organization afloat that way so travis that's all i really have for today um thank you so much listeners if you made it this far next episode travis and i will dive into a lot of other fun conversations we'll have our mlb teams ready to debut to you guys we'll have a lot of fun debates with that we'll have a reaction to the mvp results which we'll know tomorrow uh afternoon but travis that's all i have if you made it this far, we appreciate you so much, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>